Lord, we just thank you for your love and your care. We thank you for how much you show your love to us. We ask you to guide and lead us as we open your word and show us what you would have us to learn. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. We're in Psalm 120. We finally got done with Psalm 119 after several months. And we're entering into the next 15 psalms are called the Songs of Degree, Degrees or the Song of Ascents if in some Bibles. And so I did a little bit of research to find out what Songs of Decree are, are about. Uh, and this is Psalms 120, uh, Psalm 120 to 134. And there's several different things that people say that they are. Uh, many say that they are the song that the Levites sang on the 15 steps between the court of the women to the court of the Israelites. There's 15 steps apparently up, and they would sing on each one of those steps one of these songs. Uh, I'm not sure that I really buy that one, but that is one that they say. Uh, they are considered songs that the pilgrims sang on their way to the feasts as they ascended out of the valley in, uh, upward to Jerusalem. That is the one that I've heard mostly preached by pastors. And uh, that one did not surprise me. Uh, one guy said that they were just started at low tones and, and went up to higher pitches, and I don't buy that one at all, because it doesn't make any sense. This is a prayer for breaking away from the treacherous. We're looking at this part, Song of, Song of, Song of Ascension. <laughs> Uh, one guy just said they exalt God, which is all, <laughs> every psalm exalts God. So, <laughs> uh, But one of them I found the most interesting in here, and you can take this one for what it's worth, I just discovered it and I like it, is that it represents the songs that Hezekiah wrote after he was healed from his deathbed and he got an, an additional 15 years of life. Uh, if you remember the story in Second uh, Kings 20, Isaiah goes to see Hezekiah. He's dying. He says, okay, you're, you know, put your house in order. You're going to die. Uh, as he's leaving, Hezekiah prays to God and says, you know, hey, I've been following you. I want to I keep serving you. It's not, I don't want to die. And God says, okay, I will give him 15 more years. Now, if he had known what was going to happen in those 15 years, he probably would not have wanted those 15 years because in that period of 15 years, he gave birth to Manasseh. And Manasseh is one of the most <coughs> evil kings that Israel had, uh, the Judah had. And so Hezekiah, if he had known what was the result of his request, probably would not have wanted it answered if he cared anything about his people. And it's that I, that's an example I use a lot of times for people, be careful what you pray for, because you might just get your answer, and it might not be really what you think it is. And Hezekiah's prayer is one of those that Judah probably wished had never been answered, because who knows what child Hezekiah would have had take over the throne instead of Manasseh. And Manasseh was an evil king that took over, uh, born during that extra period of time that Hezekiah was alive. And uh, in Isaiah 38, 20, I'm going to read that verse because this is one of the ones that, that I really kind of uh, 
And this is in 28 as Hezekiah is being healed. And verse 20 says, The Lord was ready to save me, therefore we will sing my songs to the string instrument all the days of our life in the house of the Lord. So here, see, here I'm just saying, you know, during this thing, one of the, one of the rules that we're doing how to study the Bible is let scripture interpret scripture. And so the only thing I can find in here to help us explain this was this little section that Hezekiah wrote songs and he declared, let them be sung all the day. So it's what it is. I mean, I'm just uh, throwing this out for you all to understand. And I kind of like the idea because out of the 15 Psalms, uh, nine of them are totally unknown. Two are ascribed to David and two are ascribed to uh, Solomon. But even those ones, they're not actually sure of their authorship. So they could all 15 be Hezekiah's songs, one for each year that he had extra life. So just, just throwing that out for your consideration and thoughts. <laughs> Um, because nobody really knows what the songs of decree or songs of ascent are. And like I say, there's, we do know that in history, the Jews did sing these 15 songs as they came to the feasts, as they climbed up. And I've also heard the fact that they were sung on the steps of the, of the temple. So nothing, nothing new, nothing different other than when I did the research, I saw this little statement about Hezekiah, uh, Lightfoot in the 1800s, he's a Greek scholar. He believed that it was Hezekiah. Uh, a number of top scholars believe that it was a Hezekiah, Hezekiah, Hezekiah Psalms for those extra 15 years that he got. So take that for what it's worth. <laughs> Psalm 120, starting at verse 1. In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from the deceitful tongue. What shall be given unto you, and what shall be done unto you, you false tongue? Sharp arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper. Woe to me that I sojourn in Meshech, that I dwell in the tents of Kedar. My soul hath long dwelt with him that hates peace, for I, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. So we're going to look at this very short psalm. Yeah, very short. We got them. The next 15 are all short. Uh, so it starts out, In my distress I cried unto the Lord, and he heard me. And distress is, the, is a very strong word in the scriptures. It talks about being pressed into a, into a hard place. Uh, kind of has a picture of the idea of, for those who have ever done any uh, climbing or, or cave exploring, you've got places where you're, they call distress places where you're pressed together, you barely can get through. And sometimes when you're hiking, you go through canyons that have that same, same thing. They're hard to get through, but once you get on the other side, they're worth the, they're worth the visit on the other side of it. Yeah, well, yeah, don't, don't eat anything, don't gain any weight before you get back or you're stuck on the wrong side of, the, of it. But it means to be hard-pressed. And the idea of Gethsemane was the same thing. It was a, a, a olive press area. And Jesus was in Gethsemane and he was being pressed. 
and he was under so much distress that he sweat blood, which in medical conditions means that he was dying. You don't sweat bloods unless, uh, blood unless you are under so much intense strain that your capillaries start popping in your, in your skin and start pouring blood out of your body. And it's very rare and it happens and that's what he was going through in Gethsemane. And this one's not quite that level of distress, I'm sure. But the idea of being under stress. We all have had some periods of time or know some people that go through stress. And it can ruin your life. It can, it can make it so that you can't get anything done. It can destroy your health. And so here he's saying, I'm, I'm distressed. I am in great pain. I am in great suffering. But he turned to, says, I cried unto the Lord. If more of us would turn and cry to the Lord, we'd be better off than, we, than how we normally deal with things. Uh, I remember in my younger days, I used to be real stubborn, and I didn't, I didn't turn to God until after I had exhausted everything I possibly could do to get something fixed. And I am not unusual. <laughs> I, I have learned as I'm getting to an older age <laughs> to let God work on things instead of me. And I turn to him a lot faster than I used to, and it's a whole lot easier way to live. And it makes it easier on the family. <laughs> and definitely going to make things easier on the church as long as I start listening to God and not have to go through a lot of hard times. But you know, our first response is, should always be, turn to the Lord. And you know, our, the famous saying we always hear is, I tried everything else, I might as well pray. You know, really needs to be turned on its head and said, you know, I've got a problem, I'm going to pray. And just turn to God right from the beginning. Because it's so much easier when you do it that way because it's, you're going to in the end anyway. If you're one of his children, you're going to turn to him eventually to get it fixed. Better sooner than later. Then in the last, half of the, the last part of this verse says, And he heard me. Now this word for heard is that he responded to. Not just that he heard, but he responded have you ever had somebody that was hearing you but obviously wasn't hearing you? You see on their face they weren't even paying attention to you. They might even be able to tell you what you said, but they really weren't hearing what you were trying to say. They weren't listening. Weren't listening. You know, they, they, they really weren't. It was the, the, your words hit their eardrums, but it wasn't impacting them at all. Uh, it's the idea of when we say, look at me when I'm talking to you because we want to know that you are listening. We want to say, look this way. Are you, are you really listening or are you just kind of spaced out in your, in your, in your look? You're, you're just there. And this is when people will say, I heard the gospel for the first time. And they've heard it for hundreds of times. And, and all of a sudden, yes, they heard it for the first time and responded to it. And... The author of this one is saying, in my distress, I called you, God, and you responded. And it's wonderful to know that God responds. You know, he wants to respond, and he wants to help us out. And this is something that, you know, have you ever heard somebody say, well, I just don't believe God's going to answer me. I, I don't believe he's going to do anything. I am so glad that as a Christian and one of his children, he wants to respond. 
He even responds every once in a while to those who are lost. There are people who are lost that get some of their their prayers answered. God's not under no obligation to listen to them. But every once in a while, God will even give them a blessing just to try to show off to them. But as his children, he listens. Now, he doesn't always respond the way we want to, want him to. And sometimes we may even wish that he hadn't responded at all. Even though we wanted to when we wanted him to when we did. And Hezekiah is a great example of that. He got his extra lifespan of 15 years. And then Manasseh, the wicked king, took over after him. And that was his son. And he took over at age 13. And uh, Hezekiah had asked for 15 more years, or got 15 more years. So that means Manasseh was born in the middle of that extra 15 years. So it was probably a prayer that at least Israel wished, or Judah, wished had never been answered. I mean, we wouldn't have had this evil king if Hezekiah hadn't lived for an extra 15 years. So every once in a while, God will answer. You know, a lot of people will say, well, God will never answer a prayer that's going to lead to bad things. Well, we see all kinds of examples of that happening in the scripture. God is so merciful, sometimes he just says, okay, you want it, I'm going to give it to you. Israel asked Samuel, give us a king. And, and God says, okay, you, they've rejected me, Samuel. They're not rejecting you. Now tell them the bad things about a king, and, and we'll give them their king. And they got Saul. And Saul was not a good king for them. So God will give people things that aren't good for them when it's going to meet his plan in the long run. And I think in this case it was David wasn't ready to be king at that time. So he said, okay, we're going to let you have however long it was, 20 or 30 years of bad, I think it was 30 years of bad king Saul while David was being made ready to be king. So God will give us something. So be careful what you pray for which is why it's really good to pray in God's will. God, if it really is your will, let this happen. And I've heard some people, they tell God exactly what they want. There, there's, groups of, there's groups of people that tell you, if you really want to pray, you really want to know that God is in, in your prayer, you tell him exactly what, he want, what you want to have. God, I want a, a blue Mustang with, uh, you know, in this date, in this size engine, and... You know, and they'll tell you, you pray exactly what you want so that you know that God has answered your prayer. That's not how I want to be praying. Because I can tell you, if I did that in many cases, I would not have gotten the best thing from God in my life in many times. Now, don't also say, God, I just want to be blessed, you know, and leave it at that, because that, okay, if you wake up tomorrow, you've been blessed. If you die tomorrow, you've been blessed. Yeah. So, either, either way or not, you've been blessed. If you wake up completely sick and you, and you get healed in 24 hours or, or a week, you've been blessed. Okay? Uh, how do you define a blessing depends on you know, how open-minded you're going to be. So, yes, you need some specifics in your, in your prayer. But don't try to be so specific. You tell God exactly how, how to fix a problem. God, this person needs to be saved, and I think you need to send this person to go see them, God, because that's the only person that that person will listen to. And God's going, well, i got about 100 others that they'd listen to. You know. Uh, you know, but you know, if you've ever been around long, and if you've heard people say these prayers, you know, at some point in your Christian walk, you've heard people tell God what he needed to do to fix a problem. And I, 
the God I follow is just a little smarter than I am, just a little bit, you know, it's like about a, you know, a zillion miles, a zillion times, you know, just a little bit smarter than me. He can figure out a better way than I can probably think of every time. Are David's prayers different than that? Huh? Are David's prayers specific sometimes? Sometimes. There's a time for a specific prayer. Uh, there are times for specific prayers. That way you see the, the, the a lot of David's prayers were precatory prayers where he called down curses on people. And I'm not somebody that will teach people that we should be doing precatory prayers. Uh, matter of fact, I don't even want to see people hurt. Even if they've hurt me, I don't want to see them hurt. I want to see them come to God and end up in heaven, but I don't want to see them hurt. And that's just my opinion on it. I, I know there are other other people who teach precatory prayers have their place. Uh, but God gives us grace and mercy, and I want to give grace and mercy back to others. Annie? Not allowed to judge one another. Then how can we call on those kind of prayers? Well, we're not allowed to judge each other. How can we tell God what we think somebody else deserves for punishment? Can you quote verse 2 on, on, on Matthew uh, 7 that you're claiming? You quoted Matthew 7. What's verse, seven, uh, verse 2 say? I don't know. Judge not, lest you be judged. For what matter you judge, you shall be judged, is verse 2. It, the Matthew 7 is really not a prohibition against judgment, but make sure that your judgment is correct judgment. We judge all the time. You know, we look at something and say, is this a safe thing? Is this a safe person? Is this, is this person obeying God or is this person not obeying God? And we make Judgment, uh, actions based on those judgments. I like mine that mine says, in that judgment, you will be judged too. See, and that's a bad translation of it. Well, it's a very bad translation of it. Because it's rough. Because it really says that what level you judge, you shall be judged in return. And if you're going to make a judgment, you better be darn sure that you're making a biblically strong, accurate judgment and be willing to be judged by the same standard of judgment. But see, that's what I was taught here. This would be bad because you don't want to judge anybody because then if you judge a bad way to them, then you'll get the same thing back. Isn't that right? That's not quite what the verse indicates. But that's how I think it. Right. And that's, and that's how the world uses it against us. Don't judge me because I'm homosexual, a homosexual or God's going to judge you. When God says something is a sin, we judge it as a sin. That does not mean we're going to condemn them. It doesn't mean that we're going to try to harm them. But I am not going to tell somebody living in sin that you're not living in sin. Because I'm going to make that judgment. God calls it a sin. It's a sin. And they will say, you're judging. But I'm going to judge by God's word. And I'm willing to be judged by God's word even when I'm wrong by his word. Because it is what needs to be done. Because the world is saying, don't judge, you know, or you're going to be judged. And that's what the first part, judge not lest you be judged. By what manner you judge, you shall be judged, is the next, is the next verse. Right. So when we are going to commit judgment, and I'm not going to say we go around judging everybody. Please don't take that wrong. But if you make a judgment, make sure that it is a biblical judgment. Because that's the standard we should want to be judged by. If I'm reading the Bible and God says this is wrong and I'm doing it, 
I need to stop <laughs> and repent and, and, and turn, turn from that. And I would rather have my fellow brothers and sisters point saying, this is a sin. Now, we have to draw the line when somebody says, you know, they take the verse, you know, we're the temple of God, and then they'll tell you, you can't smoke, or you can't do this, you can't do that, because this verse, well, that verse is a good principle. But don't try to stretch it too far for people. Now, if somebody's a homose- working in homosexuality, they're a liar, they're, they're in fornication or adultery, we can point to verses that say, thou shalt not do those things. If they're a drunk, we say, God says, don't be a drunk. If they're just drinking, that's between them and God as long as they're not getting drunk. So we have to be careful, and you know, I just bring that up mostly because right now the most famous verse in our country is Matthew 7, 1, judge not lest you be judged. I didn't know that. Yep. There are people who don't know John three sixteen anymore, but almost everybody out there knows Matthew 7, 1 because it's, it's an automatic defense. It's an automatic defense. Don't judge me or you're going to be judged. You know, Bible says, judge not. <laughs> and it really isn't a verse that says, judge not, but it says, watch what manner you judge by. And it's actually a teaching of how to judge correctly. So, I don't know how I got on that, but I just want to throw that out because it's very important for us to understand because Christians all the time are saying, you know, can't judge, can't judge. It's not just the world saying it to us. Why don't they remember the sentence that's under it? It isn't even the next verse. Because... Because most people don't care. They just want to use the Bible as a weapon, mm-hmm. a weapon to defend yeah, themselves. Yeah. And this is something you have to be aware of. You know, don't do it ourselves, but also know that the world does this all the time. They use the Bible as a weapon to try to stop Christians. Defense mechanism. Defense mechanism. Let me, okay, you're a Christian. You believe in the Bible. Let me throw some verses at you. Usually out of context, not, not taken in its, in its full meaning. And oftentimes, not even the full verse. Okay, they just take a couple words out of the verse and throw them at you. So be aware. Uh, I do this to various, especially teachers. Uh, teachers, you know, when they, they say something, I'm going, where's that found in the Bible? Okay, where's that found? Because I want people to, you know, the teachers I'll do it all the time, almost all the time, especially Annie. You know, whether, whether it's there or not, I will say, where's that found? Okay. If I'm asking you, if you're talking to me and I ask where that's found in the Bible and you're not one of the teachers, I'm, I'm telling you as far as I know that's not in the Bible. You know, not that I know every single verse in the Bible, but I've been studying it for just 40-some years. I kind of know, know what's in the book. <laughs> uh, and when somebody says something that doesn't fit what's in the book, I'll ask, where, where is that at? Because I know how it works. Sometime, many, many decades ago, we heard somebody say something about something, and I've believed it ever since. Now, whether you heard it right or wrong, I'm not going to you know, say, because I've had many times in, that I have not heard a pastor speak correctly or a teacher speak correctly. And if I hear something that just totally doesn't sound right, I'll usually go to the pastor alone, and I'm saying, Pastor, I thought I heard you say this. Is this what you meant to say? Or did I hear it wrong? And most of the time, no, I, didn't think I, I don't think I said that. Or, yeah, I did say that. And then we have a discussion on, on you know, 
help me understand where you're coming from or these, how does that square with these verses? But very important when you're dealing with a teacher, go to that teacher when you hear them say something that's really strange or bizarre <laughs> that you don't understand and have them explain it. Because number one, many of us have a tendency to hear things wrong. And I know I do. That's why I love tapes. I can go back and, or not tapes anymore, but media players <laughs> and replay what they said and go from there. Billy, do you have a question? Okay. All right, verse 2. Deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips and from, deceit, and from a deceitful tongue. Deliver, snatch away. And I love this. The, the idea of snatching away. Taking us completely away from a problem and putting us in another area. And oftentimes that's just done in a mental or a spiritual picture. Now, he could literally move you. I've had times where God has just totally had me go someplace totally different. That, you know, and amazing when you end up someplace you didn't expect to be. And God uses you where you're at or keeps you out of trouble. And you find out that if you were where you were going, where you wanted to be, there was a great big accident or uh, the building blew up or something. You know, and if you were there, you'd have been in trouble. Usually, though, it's more, this, more the idea of God uses me where I'm at, when I'm at a place where I didn't expect to be. And he gives an appointment, a divine appointment where you get to serve him. You know, go, God, what am I doing here? The next thing you know, here's somebody that needs to be ministered to. You know, go, oh, thank you, God. You know, but he says, snatch away my soul. Soul is always that innermost seat of emotions. That's who we really are in our day-to-day -day walk is our soul. And we as humans are spirit, soul, and body. We have a body. You know, everybody sees our body. For good or bad, they see our body. <laughs> our, spirit, our soul is who we really are. That's our emotions, and that's our personality. And the spirit is what God gives us. It is, is that part that makes us truly alive. So people who aren't saved are basically a dichotomy. They have a body, a soul that's alive, and a spirit that's dead. And when we are saved, God reconciles our spirit. He brings, brings it to life. And that's when you start understanding spiritual things. You know, this is when you start understanding the scriptures, when you read the scriptures and all of a sudden they make sense. You know, I can't tell you how many people I've talked to that go, well, I've tried reading the Bible and none of it makes sense. I'm going, man, I read the Bible all the time and it, it, it is just so... It makes so much sense all the way. What's the difference? I have a spirit in me that's alive that says, I want this food. I want this information. They have a dead spirit that has no desire whatsoever. The soul has no desire to get into the word of God because the Bible is going to control the soul. That's the part that's being crucified on a day-to-day -day basis, the soul. All the desires that my soul wants. My soul, our soul, <laughs> wants to be fed all the wrong things until God crucifies it. So for a Christian, God's ideal position for us as a Christian would be to be body, dead spirit, a dead soul, <laughs> and a living spirit. Uh, but that's not really the way we are. We're always going to have a soul that's alive because that's our personality. That's who we are. That's how we think. That's how we respond. 
the ideal perfect situation if we could just kill that soul and stay, stay animated, which wouldn't happen, uh, we wouldn't have all the desire for sin that we have. And so he says, deliver my soul, O Lord, from lying lips you know, and from deceitful tongues. And that means, uh, the deceitful there means slack, loose, fraud, treacherous. Not just, uh, you know, people that are just out there to cause problems. Have you ever been around somebody who just seems to want to cause problems in, in, around your life? Huh? They're toxic. They're, they are toxic sometimes. And it rubs off on you and it makes you want to respond. And when you're around them too much, you get angry, you, you lash out. And you know what really ends up happening in most cases is you'll be taking it out on them at one, on one side, but then you'll end up taking it out on others around you because of how bad you are feeling in the process. I remember when I was in school one time, I had a fight with my best friend because I was mad at somebody else. <laughs> you know, he just said something, you know, something that he would normally be able to say and I would have just laughed about it and I just, and we got into a physical fight because I was mad, basically, because I was mad at somebody else. Check on you. And, you know, poor guy, you know, he just, you know, it just came out of the blue as far as he was concerned, you know, but it was like, but have you ever been there where you're really mad at somebody else and you've been, Especially if it's somebody you feel that you can't strike back at. And you're so angry that you strike out at the first available person that comes your, poor person that comes your way. You know, he says, deliver me from this, God. He under, he's understanding the pressure and the distress of this. In the business world, the, the boss chews out, the, the head person chews out somebody, and then they go chew out somebody underneath them. Not because they even deserve it, but because they're so mad they couldn't, they couldn't yell at the boss. So they go and yell at the first person, first person that they can yell at. And this happens all the time in the world around us, which is one of the reasons we need to be looking for God and saying, God, help me to just give mercy. Not take it so, you know, not be taking a lot of things happening. Because a lot of times when we're being attacked by people, it's not even us they're angry at, it's not us that they're trying to get it, they're just frustrated. And when people are frustrated, eventually it's got to come out, <laughs> somehow. It'd be better if they took and turned it over to God, but that's not the way most people get rid of their frustration. They take it out on somebody. Go to a counselor and just unload on that poor counselor. Maybe, maybe not even on a mean way, but they just give the counselor, the counselor was real happy when they started and now the counselor is low. <laughs> The counselor is also a human being. He says, deliver me from those that are lying and deceitful. You know, it's one thing. Counseling is not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, people need to be able to talk to somebody and help, help get through things at times. And we all need that type of person that we can go to and just say, you know, I just need you to pray. You know, I need your, I need your help. I need somebody. And we all need somebody that we can say this to and say, you know, I just need somebody to talk to that it's not going to go talk to everybody, you know, everybody else about your, your issues. Uh, and I'm needing to find this again, but I had two friends that I met with every week, and we would just talk, and even though all three of us were married, we knew that whatever we said amongst each other was not going even to our wives. So we was able to open up and just say, this is what I'm suffering, or this is what I'm going through, and make ourselves accountable to one another. And we all need people like that in our life. 
that we can go to and just open up and tell them anything and not be judged by what, what we say and maybe get good counsel, but definitely get prayer. And so this is what he's saying, deliver me. Verse 3, what shall be given unto you and what shall be done unto you, you false tongue? You know, this idea of what should be granted unto you. You know, and this is something we started, how I started, be careful what we pray for. Because God might just answer it. Uh, and this is something that's very important for us to be, be very much aware of. Manasseh got a prayer answered that he did not want. Uh, and others have gotten prayers answered that they didn't want. The, the Israelites, when they asked for, for a king, got an answer for prayer that they didn't want. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego got a prayer answered that they didn't want. They ended up in a fiery furnace, and yet God protected them. But when they went in, they fully expected to die. You know, they fully expected to die. Daniel, when he was praying before God, fully expected to die when he was cast into the lion's den. Uh, but God blessed him and was able to bring him back out, so there was a testimony. You know, so God can still use anything that happens to us. And so, and this is the great news, and this is why Romans 8.28 is one of my favorite verses. For all things work together for good for those who are called according to the purpose of God. Not some things, all things work together for good. Even when they look like they're bad, they are going to work out for good. Now, could we have done without them? Well, probably. <laughs> but by the same token, think back over your life. Is, if you look back over your lives, where did you grow the most? It was when you went through very what you would have considered at the time the hard time points in your life. Would you trade those hard points in your life for where you are now in many cases? I know I wouldn't because they are what makes me who I am. You know, if they weren't there, then I would not be the person I am today. So I don't want to say, God, take away all the hard things in my life. My mother always says that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Yeah, that's true. That is a true statement. You know, whatever doesn't kill us is, makes us stronger. And it goes through the same principle that all things work together for good. And God has a great blessing in this. He's bringing us through hardships. And this is why most of the time you'll hear me things when things seem to be or look to be bad in your life. Because I don't want to sit down and say, you know, God, send me all the bad you can. That's not my prayer. But I do know that if he was to send me bad things, it would be for my good in the long run. And that something would be done good on it. And I would hope to stay focused on, God, what are we going to do out of this? We look at Job and all that Job went through and how God blessed him in return afterwards. Now, would I want to go through everything that Job went through? Absolutely not. <laughs> to lose everything I own, lose my health, lose my kids, and then have a, a bunch of counselors come along and make me feel miserable for a couple, couple weeks uh, would not be a very good experience. But could I stay focused and say, okay, God, <laughs> You know, what's my answer? And you all know it because I've told you. God, you've promised that all things work together for good and that you're in control, so that's all I'm holding on to. <laughs> and I've been at an end of a, what seemed like an end of the rope. It probably wasn't. I probably could have gone further down. But I've been at the end of the rope with an, and the knot on there is God's promise that it's going to be for good. Holding on for dear life, saying, God, you know, you've promised. And God, if, I, if my hands slip, I know you're down there you know, to catch me. <laughs> you know, and that's the good news. God is always ready to catch you when you do fall. 
and he's going to make it he's going to show you that it is for your good and it might just be to show you that you're stronger than you think you are because he's there and he says but what shall be given you what shall be granted unto you and what shall be done unto you O false tongue you know what what shall be increased unto you old false tongue nothing <laughs> nothing's going to be actually increased but you know when you're in the middle of every, every, all your problems, doesn't it seem like they'll never end? And when you're in the middle of it all, you're going, God, how do I get out of this? Then you go get counsel and you say, well, God, that's not the counsel I want. I don't want to do this. And you continue falling down and staying in the middle of the problem until eventually you go to the Bible and get the counsel and you follow the counsel. But how many times have you gone to the Bible, got the counsel from the word of God, and then say, no, God, that's not the way I, that's not the way I want to do this? You know, God's pretty amazing. He just keeps letting you go waddle around in the mud until you get, you know, first your ankle deep in, and it says, maybe you might want to turn around and, and do what I want you to do. And, oh, God, I, I, like, I like the path I'm going in. It's a little, little hard to walk in, this muck, in all this muck, and the next thing you know, you're knee deep, and it's really hard to walk in the muck. Uh, you know, I actually did that one time. I was out on a beach with the tide out, and I was walking across the sand. It was getting deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. You know, and finally I lost a shoe and I go, I, better, I think it's about time to turn back. You know, I was sinking into my knees. You know, you know, sometimes, sometimes I'd rather slow. No, I lost that shoe. I lost that shoe forever. You know, sometimes I've been really slow in my life. You know, I'm going, this may not be the best direction to keep going. But you know, how often do we do that in life? We just keep going and we just don't turn around and all of a sudden we're neck deep in the problems and going, uh, hey God, uh, uh, I think I went in this problem just a little too far, God. Helicopter, please. Yeah, God snatched me out of this because now I need to be snatched out of this because there's no way I'm getting out of this. And God picks us up. But, you know, we, we, this happens to us a lot, you know, because we, we as a people are stubborn. <laughs> you know, God, I'm going to do it my way. You know, and God says, okay, you keep doing it your way. When you're finally tired, I will be here to, to help you out. That's called hard-headed, isn't it? Yeah, I would call it hard-headed or stubborn, yeah. It's always better to do it his way. Eventually, you're going to do it his way anyway. And he knows that eventually you're going to give up and say, God, I'm going to do it your way. If you really want to be stubborn, you'll end up in heaven ahead of time because he'll say, okay, you did it your, you did it your way, you're here, <laughs> as long as you're one of his children. If you're not his child, you'll end up doing it your way, dying and going to hell. It's not funny, but it really is something that is a very serious thing. And we all, in one sense, we know it's funny because we all have done it. We have all done it saying, God, I'm going to keep doing it my way. As we get deeper and deeper into distress, we get deeper and deeper into problems, and we keep going, going, God, I, I'm going to keep doing it my way. And God, you know, just stay up there, God. You know, I, I, can, I can do this. You know, most of us have that pride in our, in our heart that says, I can get it done, God. I don't need help. Surrender. How? You know, everybody keeps asking me that. It, my only example I can give people on what it means to surrender is we're in this room right now, and if the police surrounded this building and said, come out with your hands up, we have a choice. We give up and come out with our hands up and say, I surrender, 
or we say, get out of here, I'm going to stay here for until, until you come charging in with the tear gas and the, and, the, and the battering rams, and you can take me by force. Well, I ain't never going to say that. <laughs> I'm going out with my answer. But don't we usually say that to God? No, I tell him, do it your way, Lord. But do you allow him to do it that that's way? What I'm not sure about. See, that's the problem that we have is most people will not surrender to God until they have learned to just surrender. I am learning to surrender a lot faster than I have ever done past uh, years. And it is so much more peaceful to surrender to God and say, God, I just want to do it your way. I want you to have your way, God, and let him. Most of us will say, God, I want you to do it your way. God, I, I want you to do it your way, and he's walking this way, and we go that way. You know, he's going to the right, and we go, God, I'm going to do it your way. I'll see you later, as we're walking away from him. We surrender after we've exhausted everything. Usually that's what we do. When I am tired of fighting and arguing and, and battling, okay, God, I am so tired. I have no other choice. You, God, you drag me wherever you want me to go because I'm not walking anymore. God, I have been beat up for 28 years on this problem, and God, I don't want to do it anymore. You, you, you drag me where you want me to go. The good news is you don't have to be beat up for 28 years if you will just learn to say, God, Lead me, take me the way you want me to go. David said, you know, he's our good shepherd. He leads us through the shadow of the valley of death. He leads us to the tablelands of food and, 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 and still waters. He wants to bring us the best way. Now, the problem is usually when we look at the best way, we get scared to death sometimes. Because the best way, if you've ever read Pilgrim's Progress, the best way might lead through the fiery valley with lions on both sides of you and darts being thrown at you. And God says, this is the best way. And you go, oh my God, I'm not going that way. That looks scary. And he goes, believe me, this is the best way. The lions are unchanged. They can't get onto the, onto the path. But if you go off the path, the lions will get you. Stay on the path that I'm leading you on. It looks scary. And there's many times that God's way looks scary. All right, and this is, you know, again, Pilgrim's Progress is a great book. If you've never read Pilgrim's Progress, read it. Get one of the modern ones in, and the modern English is a pretty easy story, but, you know, he's got these places where God leads him, and he's walking in a path where it is scary. Everything looks scary. Everything looks wrong. But it's what the Bible tells us he does all the time to us. We walk in a narrow path, and as long as we stay on that path, we're, we're okay. No matter how scary it looks. Rocks overhanging the cliffs, but they're stuck there and they're not coming down if we stay on the path. And yet we look up at the rocks and say, uh-uh, God, I'm not going down this path. Those rocks might fall down. And goes, they've been there for, forever. Just come. Come down this path. You know, we want to be able to start just surrendering to God and say, God, I'll take whatever it is you want and I'll walk the path no matter how scary it looks that you're leading me on because you are leading me. And believe me, you know, I talk about this, and the thing I've said so many times is when you get to the other side of surrender, after, especially after fighting for a long time, you go, God, why did it take me so long to just surrender to you? All I had to do was stop doing what I was doing and do what you wanted me to do, and it was so simple. 
When God brings you through something that you think you'd never get through, you know, how many things has God brought you to and you've, you've stopped doing that you thought you never would stop doing and you, get, and you just surrendered to God and said, God, take it away, and the next thing you know, we're not doing it anymore. And you struggled with it for maybe years trying to get rid of it. And you just said, God, I'm tired of struggling. You do it. And you get to the other side and go, wow, that was simple. That's what surrender is. When you get to the place in your problem that you say, God, I just want to surrender. I'm tired of fighting. I'm tired of trying to do it my way, God. You do it. S deliver me. Snatch me out of the problem and put me out of the problem. And the next thing you know, you look back on it and say, well, how did I get out of that? How, how did that happen? And, you know, I, I, I know because you've asked the same question so many people. How do I surrender? And basically, you just do it. You just decide, I'm not going to fight this issue anymore. Now, am I perfect in that? Absolutely not. I'm getting better. I don't usually fight God as long or as hard. Sometimes I'm really quick at it. The other day, I was, God says, well, do you believe what you just taught that day? And I'm going, okay, God, what's it going to cost me? You can ask him to help you surrender. But be ready to surrender. Okay? And mean it. Because it's real easy for us to say the right words. Christians are real good about saying the right words. Living the right words is a whole other story altogether. Yeah, meaning it and saying, God, help me surrender, but be ready to let him do this. God, deliver me from my problems and let him get you out of those problems. Because so often we get to the, what looks like the end of the rope. And we, we usually don't surrender until we get to a place where, God, I see no other way out of it. There's no answer. Uh, everywhere around me, I'm in the middle of the the den of snakes, and there's snakes on every single side of me, and there's some above me as well, and I, and I think the ground underneath me is moving with snakes. God, help! <laughs> you know, uh, because all of a sudden I say, there is no way out. But usually for most of us, we go, okay, there's, there's a three-foot gap that way. I'm going to try to charge that one. <laughs> you know, there's more snakes on the other side of it. You know, we want to mean, mean it and, and let God deliver us. And it is a hard thing. It, it takes time to learn. But, it, but I'm going to tell you one thing. It's like all the spiritual walk. The more you do it, the easier it gets. In every area of your life, the more you do something spiritual, the easier that spiritual walk becomes, even though it's hard at first. The more you do it, the better off you are. I wonder if we think that sometimes we're in a situation when we're really not in a situation at all. Definitely. Definitely what we perceive as a situation is not a situation at all. Yes, all of us. All of us are in that place a lot of times. Because how big is our God? We, of course we don't. We don't recognize it because all we see is the problem. The quote on the, on the PowerPoint this month is, the giant in front of you is never bigger than the God inside you. You want to keep this in mind. Whatever problem is in front of you is really not that big. It's probably not big anyway, but God can deal with it with no problem. Uh, have you ever noticed how the closer you get to a hill, the bigger the hill might appears to be? 
you know, get in an airplane and go above the go above even these big mountains around here, and these mountains don't look very big. Okay, why? Because there's perspective between you and the mountain. But when you're standing there right in front of that problem, that problem looks huge. It looks insurmountable. Uh, there's a song, and I can't remember who sings it, that I, that I have on my thing. It says, on the other side, and it basically starts presenting problems in the song. It's got three different verses, and it talks about how the problem looks so big before you solve it, and then on the other side of the problem, you look back and you say, was that all it was? You know, and one of his was some slide or something that he remembers, you know, when he was little, you know, that he thought was so big and so scary. You know, I have one of those visions in my life. When I was in first grade, I remember a slide, and the, what do I remember about the slide? It was about 60 feet tall, and it took forever to climb to the top. Uh, and coming down was, you know, an adventure ride. Now, I'm sure that now if I was to go back to that same park, now that I'm six foot tall, it, it might be a big slide. It might only be like a 10-foot slide or something. But when you're, when you're little, those, those things look really big. When we're young in, in, in God and we look at our problems, they look like giants. You know, you, I love it when people say, when I was in elementary school, I walked in snow and the snow was waist deep. <laughs> well, it was waist deep, but you were only three feet tall, so a foot, of, foot and a half of snow was waist deep. You know, and it doesn't snow like it used to. <laughs> well, yeah, but the snow only goes up to your knee now. But the point is for us as our Christian walk. When we're a new young Christian, a baby in Christ, all these problems are going to seem insurmountable and huge. But as we learn to trust in God and let him walk us through these problems and we grow in him, the problems are going to stop seeming to be so big. And we just learn, God, you've gotten through me all these other problems. I think just somehow you might be able to get me through the next problem, even though it's bigger. Even though it's tougher, we learn to trust in him. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. Okay, yep. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. You know, but the problem is most of the time we don't trust in him. We trust in, you know, we change that verse Trusting myself and all my, all my problems will somehow magically go away eventually if I try hard enough. You know, and they don't. <laughs> you know, too many times we kind of forget these verses, which is one of the reasons we're trying to get verses memorized so that we can say, here's a verse for when you're in the middle of something, trust God. When it looks like it, it's, everything is going bad, trust God. He's leading. Lean on him and let him direct your path. And sometimes he'll lead you to do some things that just don't make any sense. But yet you get to the other side of the problem, and it's like, wow, that was the only way, that was really the only way out of this problem. You know, God said, don't have fellowship with, with the unbelievers at times. And sometimes we stick around and have fellowship with believers and walk with them into the snake pit <laughs> because we just love them so much that we just can't see not being around them. The non-believers. We walk right in the right in the middle of the pit with the non-believers, and God's over there saying, uh, uh, "I'm going this way. Uh, where are you going?" I'm going with him from now on. I'm going to tell you. Yeah. 
But you know, sometimes he asks us to do very hard things. Yes, he does. Yeah. Annie's but favorite book is The Hiding Place, and very hard things that, that uh, Corey was taken through to get to the strong place that she was later on to witness. Uh, you know, all these different people that we read, that are re record, you know, telling people to read, you know, and look at their testimonies, and the hard things they went through, sometimes very crazy hard things. George Mueller, running, running an orphanage with no bank account. You know, no bank account, and he's spending what's equivalent to millions of pounds a month to feed and, and take care of these kids, doing it all on prayer. Yeah. And I love the story when there's nothing for breakfast and he's got all the kids sitting down to, for breakfast and they go, okay, we're going to pray to bless the food. <laughs> what food? <laughs> yeah. And while they're praying, a the guy knocks on the door and says, you know, I have the bakery and God told me to bake these bread. Can you use them? Hands them bread for the kids. And then, you know, barely, barely gets the bread, uh, you know, to, to starting toward the kids. And this other knock on the door says, you know, uh, my, my milk cart is broken and I have to dump all this milk out. Would you like to have it for the kids? <laughs> uh, you know, just little things. You know, they're praying God bless this food that doesn't exist and God brings the food in. Would any of us have that kind of faith in a God that could deliver us? Would we be saying, God, there's no way I'm praying for the food that's not on the table? Yeah, George Mueller gives us the example of doing so. Yeah, he's doing it for lots of kids. <laughs> so how faithful are we for God and how much are we looking for him to do these things? Verse 4, sharp arrows are the mighty with coals of juniper. <laughs> now, this is kind of interesting. Sharp arrows, sharpened. Uh, it literally in the Greek, uh, in the Hebrew, it means to wet the arrows, which means to sharpen them. <laughs> Uh, so he's sharpening the arrows of the mighty with coals of juniper, or fire and heat, and almost kind of like flaming arrows, which God says Satan shoots at us, flaming arrows to try to uh, try to scare us. You know, he's not picturing a very pretty sight. This is not a sight of somebody who is having a good place in their life, and he's saying, "Deliver me." There's people lying about me. There's people trying to hurt me. The enemy seems to be shooting arrows at me that are, that are flaming arrows to try to, try to kill me. And, and you know, God, they're, and they're sharpened. They've been sharpened to, to maximum cutting velocity. Uh, then he goes, woe is me. <laughs> yeah. God, God, deliver me because I am in just so much tr trouble that I sojourn in Meshach and I dwell in the tents of Kedar. Mishak is the Albanian area, and basically it's a word for barbarians. You know, I dwell between barbarians in the north and savage people in the south. <laughs> Have you ever felt like you were surrounded by barbarians and savages? God, if I step outside for just a second, they're going to get me. <laughs> we need... You know, and for us, we laugh about it because we're, we're thinking of it figuratively. But you know there are many places in the world that if they step out of their door and they speak, in for, speak for Christ, they may literally be facing literal death because of all of this. You know, we in America are so spoiled because we don't really have to face persecution. You know, I had a guy lose a job one time. He says, I'm being persecuted. I go, you don't know what persecution's about. 
Besides which, what are you persecuted? Well, I was sharing the gospel at work. Well, you weren't being paid to share the gospel at work. You deserved to be fired. You were paid to do a job. Or ask them where you want break first. You know? uh, no, I was, do what you're supposed to be doing, and then you wouldn't get fired. You know, we, we look at this all the time and say, you know, God, you know, I'm just so persecuted. Everything's so terrible. You know, we might just have people making fun of us. And we feel like it's persecution. You know, there are places in this world, if you become a Christian, you might die the next day. Yes. Yeah. You'll lose your business. At the very least, nobody will come to your business. There's places in the Middle East where if you become a Christian and you're a successful businessman, you might lose all your customers overnight. Because well, they uh, they're, they're not going to see you as a trader. So you go out of business. You lose your business. And you probably pay with your life. That's where you're talking about some sharp, <laughs> sharp arrows and some, some attacks. And woe is me, I, I'm in the middle of all these enemies. My soul hath longed to dwell with him that hates peace. Yeah, and this is kind of an interesting statement because it says that my soul longs, wants to abide, has long dwelt, abided with him that hates peace. And this is that whole idea of we as Christians walk in an area that's against us. The world is against us. Which is one of the reasons we're admonished in Hebrews that forsake not the assembling of yourselves and so much more as you see that day approaching. We need other Christians in our life. We do. Not exclusively. We can't ignore the world because if we ignore the world, we have nobody to witness to. But we need each other for strength, for encouragement, for just not being beat up for a while. <laughs> you know, just a place where every, the people tend to like the same thing. I love to talk about God's word, so I love to get with other Christians who want to talk about God's word, who want to share what God's doing with them. I don't want to go, well, you know what God did with me? Oh, that's just a bunch of consequences. You just, uh, you know, you're crazy to attribute it to God. And then to be able to come to the Christians and say, oh, wow, that's wonderful. Yeah, that's wonderful to see what God's doing for you. We need to be able to encourage one another because it's a tough world out there. And I've said it many times, coming to church is not going to be the answer to all your problems. But it's going to make life easier in the long run. You're going to be more successful coming to church than not coming to church. And I tell the inmates this, especially those who come to different churches, I go, when you get out, make sure you find a church and spend time, as much time as you can, with the people in that church. I go, it's not an absolute answer to all your problems, but it's going to make life a whole lot easier than going out and hanging with the buddies that got you in here in the first place. Because you go hang with them, you're not going to change them, they're going to change you, and you will be back. You go to the church, and the chances are you're going to find more people that are going to be supportive of you, and your chances of staying out of trouble increase. Because you're hanging with people who aren't trying to get in trouble. In the church, you find percentage of people that have gone exactly through what you've gone through. You know, people before. And you will also find, if you are looking to find people who are looking for trouble, you're going to find them even in church. I went to a Christian school for two years. And there was a family that put their two kids in, in the Christian church, not because they really wanted them to be in a Christian uh, school, but they wanted them to stay out of trouble. 
What was the first thing they did? They found other people just like them that wanted to have trouble. If you want to find an element, no matter where you're at, you'll find, you'll find that element. If you are somebody who's into drugs, you will find, no matter where you are, even in a church, you'll find somebody who's wanting to be into drugs. Now, smaller the church, the less, you know, the less likely, the bigger the church, the easier it is. But, you know, but by going to church, you'll find also an element that wants to follow God. And if you're wanting to follow God, you'll find that group to help you. Because you're going to find what you want. You always are going to find what you want. Because if you want to sin bad enough, you'll find some way to sin. You know, Adam and Eve did too. Perfect environment, no problems, no temptation other than the, the, the serpent, and they found a way to sin. And if they could find a way to sin in a perfect environment, we really have a hard time in an imperfect environment other than God coming in and saying, I want you to follow me and say, God, I surrender. Help me find, help me find those. And, and I've many examples of going to meetings and everything and God and telling God, God, I don't need all these lost people around me. Where are some Christians? And lo and behold, a Christian or two would show up or four or five or six or seven, <laughs> you know, and we just have a great time worshiping God in the midst of a crazy party going on with everything else. Because you know, I was looking and I go, God, I want to find Christians. I want to honor you this evening. I don't want to be tempted to do anything. I don't want to be tempted. I just want to follow you and enjoy fellowship with somebody for you. You'll find what it is you're seeking to find. Even in the world, you'll find what you're seeking to find if you're, if you're looking for God. You'll find God in, in all those different places. And the last verse, I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. You know, this is probably the hardest place to be is when you are trying to seek peace and the people around you are just trying to be antagonistic. And it is hard. It is hard to find those out, hard to be in that place. And that is when you seek God and say, God, I need you to show me how to stay out of this situation. And God, what do I need to do? And rest in him. You know, the greatest thing that we can have in our life is just to rest in Christ. Because so often we struggle and we fight and we strive. And we just need to just be resting in him. God wants to deliver you from your problem. And if you just rest, he'll show you the way out. And that may come with somebody being counsel and saying, well, you know, this is what God is showing you. Sometimes it takes somebody coming in and saying, do this, do that. And we need to be ready to listen. Not everything you're going to be told is the right answer. You know, because we're human counselors. You may get told bad advice, so you just listen to it and say, is this God talking? When somebody says, I should do this. You know, and in the churches, there's a lot of bad counsel a lot of times. You know, Person's having struggle in their marriage and they share it with somebody. Well, you need to get divorced. Well, you know, show me that in the Bible. Show me that that is God's counsel. Get in the Bible and show me that that's God's counsel. Now, if there's adultery in there, then yes, that's that's, then that's the answer. If it's not adultery, that's never the answer. Now, it may be that they need to get out of the situation for a short period because if they're being ab physically abused, they need to get away from that person and create space and be able to find the answers, godly answers. But divorce still isn't the answer, biblically. Even adultery, you can bypass, bypass. 
You don't have to get divorced for adultery, but that is the only grounds, biblical grounds for divorce. And it's tough. You know, it'd be tough to trust anybody who's committed adultery. Lord, we just thank you for this evening. Lord, help us to learn to just surrender and trust you in all, in all of our ways and that you will guide and lead us and that you always have a perfect plan that leads to your goodness and your way of, of blessing us. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.